Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I'm thrilled today to bring you a new friend, Meredith Richardson. Meredith is a midlife empowerment coach and leader of the Facebook group where the queen saves herself. She is a powerful story that I'm thrilled to share with you today. So welcome, Meredith. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, Pasha. Absolutely. My pleasure. I am trying to think back to the first time I heard about you. And I believe in my researching about how people recover from trauma. Um, I came upon the a Newsweek article, actually. And then I saw that you were uh, from Maine. I thought you were from Maine. Um, and now I understand that you don't live there anymore, but still I reached out to you saying, Hey, you're in Maine. This is fantastic. <laughs> so we started talking and then we realized, um, how our work is so similar and how we guide and empower women to heal from their trauma. Um, so um, yes, it's, it's powerful work you're doing and I appreciate that you're out there in the world doing Thank it. you. Yeah, I, I was in Maine for a long time. So mm-hmm. I, um, grew up in New Hampshire and Maine. And I lived in Maine and I was um, a mediator and an attorney and a guardian at Lightham in Maine. Um, so I only left Maine in 2018. And uh, then I wandered the world for a couple of years. So when we connected, I was out here in Oregon, which is where I am currently. Nice. And when you say wandered the world, was that um, pleasure travel? Hmm. That's a good question. That was finding myself travel. So that was more like eat, pray, love travel. (laughs) (laughs) Did it start with um, something that was heavy and then ended with pleasure or because in hers, she started in Italy with the spaghetti, which I'll never forget with pizza. And then she ended with the meditation. So how, how did your journey look in, uh, in your travels? Oh, interesting. But she, so similar to her, she started with a divorce, right? That was why she ended up going on this journey in the first place. Yes. And so it was a soul searching after that. And so for me, it was because um, I left everything behind. So I had, um, I had two people try to kidnap me in 2015 and I faced off against my attacker in, um, 2018 at his criminal trial. Hmm. So that was the impetus for my leaving everything behind was um, that attack in 2015, actually. So um, it had been something that was in the works for a while. I just didn't know where I was going to go. And I was hoping that my then husband was going to go with me. Um, But that's not how things worked out in my life. So 
2018, um, I faced off against my attacker at his criminal trial. And then um, I just could not be in the middle of people's conflict anymore. I just couldn't do mediation anymore. And so I thought, well, I, I don't know what to do. I know that I still have these strengths, but I don't know what to do with them. And I figured that if I went somewhere safe, that I felt fully safe, then I would be able to figure it out. Because if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you start with that basis of feeling safe. So I went to Norway for three months. I just created my own sabbatical. I started my divorce process uh, and headed off. And then when I was there, I wrote a memoir about my life after the attempted kidnapping. I wrote the first draft of it. Um, and I realized when I was there that I wasn't ready to come back. So I had a friend in Australia and I went and I stayed with her for a couple months. And then I decided I really wanted to go back to Norway. So I went to Norway and I studied Norwegian super intensively and I was marketing the book to agents and things weren't happening fast enough and I needed to be able to do something. So I thought, well, you know, Cato was able to live for free at OJ's. Like, how can I get somebody to pay my expenses? That worked out well for him. Right? <laughs> well, you know, well enough until it didn't. And so I um, found international pet sitting. So I was able to trade pet sitting for living for free. So, and the treaties were different between, um, there's a different treaty for Norway and the Schengen countries versus the UK. So I was able to live in the UK for six months and pet sit. And I did that. And then I uh, went back for a visit and then I went to Greece and I pet sat on a little, one of the little Greek islands. And I went to France and I pet sat out in the vineyards. And I was scheduled last year when COVID hit, I was supposed to be um, outside of Tucson for two months pet sitting. And then I was going to be in Norway for the summer and I was going to be in the UK pet sitting in the fall. So I was wandering the world pet sitting and creating my own online business. That was it. That was what I was doing. That is resourceful. <laughs> That's wonderful. I have so many questions. My, my mind's going in a million directions. The, the first one is perhaps the easiest one, which is, did the pets, the animals that you cared for, mm -hmm. provide you with comfort? And were they a big part of your healing process and feeling safe and grounded again? Ah. Uh. I think the pets um, were part of the healing process. They were probably the easiest part of the healing process mm -hmm. because what I was doing was I was intentionally teaching myself that the world was a safe place, right. generally speaking, right? right? So I was setting myself up to go places where I knew absolutely nobody. Mm -hmm. And I had to trust that the person that came that picked me up at the train station was What's actually that? going to take yes. me safely Yes. back home. Right. Yes. And so yes. I would intentionally seek out women as opposed to men, even yes. though for me, it was a woman who lured me to the location and a man who attacked me. Um, but his accomplice was a woman. Interesting. So, um, yeah. So it made it extra challenging for me, yeah. honestly, but I also had found, I, I, I used to travel before the attack 
And I had found that I was um, better able to travel outside of Maine and New Hampshire because nothing bad had ever happened to me there. Yes. Right. So yes. I had, um, I had been working on expanding my comfort zone before I did this. It wasn't something where I, you know, stayed home for three years and then all of a sudden jumped to going to Norway. I had to, I had to take the time to build up my comfort. And one of the things that I did was I went to um, Quebec and I went to Quebec city by myself and I stayed overnight in, um, it's still a convent, but it's, a, they have so many fewer women that they've been able to convert part of it into a hotel. So it's right mm-hmm. in the city, mm-hmm. but I was in there and I had to move my car and it, and I had to go out at nighttime to do it. And I did not want to do that because, um, I had problems with sunset because that was the time that I was attacked. And so I had to go move my car. So I went out to the street waiting for my body to just go like on red alert. Right. And I heard people speaking French and my body didn't react at all. And I realized because I had studied abroad in France and I had traveled before to Quebec city and nothing bad had ever happened to me. So my body was just like, so what? So we happen to be out here and it's fine because you know, only good things happen here, Mm. the car, no problem. So Mm. I was able to use that to then go and take it to the next level um, by doing the pet sitting. And so I started off with only taking things that would be with women, um, or at least there would be a woman at home, right? It didn't have to be a single woman. Um, But eventually it became you know, having to meet a man at the train station too, and trusting that it was going to be okay. And every time it was okay. So, which leads me to my next question, which is um, something that I resonate a lot with from past trauma, PTSD and trauma triggers that over time um, they might lessen, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting how out of nowhere they could appear. And so you've already mentioned for you as sunset and dark and Mm -hmm. men, are there other things that just surprise you with the trauma triggers? Um, For me, and sadly it's trees for a reason I won't go into right now, but of course they're all around me. And so are you comfortable talking about things that, that trigger the trauma? Sure. So I will say, I think that people don't realize unless they've gone through it. I think you need a full calendar year before mm-hmm. you know all of your trauma triggers because you mm-hmm. did with every season can come something different. So you might yes. think that it's only going to be around what happened in this time period, right? So because it happened to me in the fall, there would only be things in the fall, but that's not true. That's not how it works. So um, for me, like you, being out in nature was a trigger for me because the plan was to put me on a zip line out in the woods. And I was pretty convinced I was going to be tortured and, and then die out there. So I went from having nature as my comfort space to having nature as a place that was very triggering for me. And I could not reclaim that sense of safety in the main woods, no matter what, like I tried, but, and it ended up being beaches too, because I would all, I liked to go out into nature and be alone, right. Or alone me and my dog, 
but I couldn't do that because I didn't like being alone. So the only way that I could get myself out into nature alone was out on the water. I would go out on my kayak or on my paddleboard because that was okay. That would be safe. Um, so for me, that was an issue, but honestly, Norway gave nature back to me because I went back to the farm that I had farmed on in my twenties and I was able to live close to that. And I felt fully safe. And I had been able to go hiking there when I was there in my twenties. Right. So being out there and being in the middle of nowhere by myself felt completely safe. And then I was able to take that and have that work for me in the UK too. So I had, it was something that I had to train myself to do, right? It wasn't just instinctively safe, but it wasn't something where I kept the fear that I had had from the US. And so then I was able to do that in the UK. I was able to do that in um, in Greece. I was able to do that in France. And I would intentionally play with times, right? Knowing, okay, this is like a stressful time but I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. Or because um, I was taking care of dogs, some people have very set times to walk their dogs. And it happens to be late at night or early in the morning Mm -hmm. when there's no light Um, or even, even late. Like I had one where they required the dog to be walked at nine 30 or 10 o'clock at night. So it's just dark. And it was not when I would typically walk my own dog, even <laughs> before this happened, but certainly after it happened. Sure. So I would do it and that would make me stronger. Yes. yes. Um, but I had, weird, so also weird things. I, um, I was attacked in the fall and in the springtime, usually once it gets warm enough, I like to have open windows. I could not open my windows and leave my windows open Mm -hmm. um, and leave the room Mm -hmm. because I was afraid somebody was going to climb in. It was Mm -hmm. not a rational fear. It was based in what I knew about this person who was at that point locked up in jail. Nobody was going to be coming and coming in my windows, but I could not do that. I couldn't have my windows open at night anymore when I slept um, for that same reason. Like I really had to um, I really had to work on those things. I didn't like having, um, it, I lived by, we moved it so that we were living by a, um, a forest. It was not my favorite place to live. Certainly was not my favorite place to live at night. I needed to have the, like the shades drawn. I needed to have it be that people could not see me because I knew that my house would be lit up like a Christmas tree so that anybody could see in. Not that anybody was, right? Nobody was actually climbing Nobody. back of the hill right. to look into my house. Right. I knew it was entirely me, mm-hmm. but for me to feel safe, mm-hmm. I had to have it be that nobody could see in. Yes, yes. And, and now you're in Oregon and mm-hmm. as I understand it, you're in a new and healthy, safe and healing relationship. I am. So I'm, I'm in my relationship, the one who's constantly being triggered by mass, my past traumas, which causes a lot of anxiety and hypervigilance, which affects mm-hmm. my parenting and my ability to trust anything yeah. and anyone. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I move relentlessly because I keep trying to feel safe. So this I'm on my 19th move uh, in a few weeks to uh-huh. feel safer because yes. I'm around too many trees, which is sad, you know, and yet right. it's the truth. 
And so in your relationship, I'm wondering how you navigate this because it's so hard for our partners to understand um, the the triggers and Mm -hmm. something so seemingly unrelated. Like if he goes to the grocery store and doesn't bring his phone um, Mm -hmm. and then I, and then he's an hour late because he's slow. Um, (laughs) I, I panic. And then I get very upset and angry that he forgot his phone, that he was late, that he didn't call, that he didn't, that he understands that this brings me such panic. And then he gets upset. Like, can you ever, you know, get over this? Can you ever trust me? Or, or all I did was go grocery shopping and, and, um, and then we get into a battle over the, um, the effects years later of a trauma. So I'm curious how you navigate that in your current relationship. Oh, that, so that's a big one. And honestly, um, honestly, it comes up in so many ways and it comes up in terms of uh, both of us in different ways, but I can give you an example. I have some neighbors who uh, fight really badly. So when they, when things get ugly, there's just this rage that Mm -hmm. comes on with one of them. And that is a trigger for me. Now for him, all he hears is, you know, somebody's raging next door. But for me, it really like resonates in my body. Oh my God, something really horrible could happen and could be happening to me. Right. So that's a, it's a weird one. So it is something where we have talked about it and, um, we've had to talk about it because it it wasn't something that triggered him. So he didn't understand why for me, this was such a big thing and why Mm -hmm. I notice it so much when he doesn't. Right. Um, So it is talking it through that helps with all of it. Mm -hmm. I would say that the other, the other part that comes up for me, honestly, when you were talking about the phone um, is I get an abandonment piece that comes up because there were people who were not there for me. Like I had always been somebody who was there for other people. And I thought that when this happened, right, all the goodness that you put out in the world comes back to you. Not always right when you need it. Um, Not always, right? So there were people that just, I wasn't able to give them what they needed anymore. And so I wasn't of service to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, right. Mm-hmm. Or they just needed me to be the old me and mm-hmm. tend to their needs and mm-hmm. not tend to mine. Mm-hmm. And so there was just this expectation I was going to continue to be who I was before, which was uh, I was a superhero in my own head. Like I was a rescuer, right? So I was always tending to everybody else's needs and pretending I didn't have needs. But when I did have these huge needs, a lot of people weren't there for me. And so what can come up for me is feelings of abandonment over stupid stuff, like having to work late because it's that, I mean, that was what ended up happening at the end of my marriage. My, my ex-husband, he was really good for the first year, but the last year of our marriage was really bad. And he was really angry that I never got like back to normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, um, 
like he would say he wasn't mad at me. He was mad at the person who attacked me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the person who attacked me wasn't present to be mad at. Right. And so he would be around me and be mad. The rage. And, mm-hmm. Right. And then the last year of our, of our marriage, he was um, sleeping out every weekend. And I mm-hmm. could not get him to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. So that had its own layer mm-hmm. right, of pain. Mm-hmm. that can come up in terms of if I don't have, um, if I, yeah, if I feel like my boyfriend is distant and I can't get to him, it can, tr- it's like not just dealing with his distance. It can be dealing with his distance because of how I was treated by other loved ones, because yes. I was seen as not enough anymore yes. as a result of what happened to me. Yes. And we bring all of these experiences and traumas and limiting beliefs and all of it with us to each relationship. And it, it yes. makes people nervous to leave their current relationships, even if they're unhealthy, because they figure who else will possibly accept or love me given all of right. this trauma and these quirks because of right. it that come up. Um, and, and that's where the heroic self-love comes in and right. em- embracing ourselves and, I assume this is where you came up with the title of your Facebook group where the queen saves herself because the only life we can save is ourselves when it, when it comes down to it. Um, and so shifting a little bit here because I want to offer um, <laughs> hope and healing and, and it's so incredibly powering, empowering to realize that you can go from the depths of such trauma to a place of healing and not only healing yourself, but now you're healing other women. And so what does that look like in your life now? It it's me honestly in a whole different place. It's me in, in some ways, I'm in the place I was before where I was helping so many people as a mediator and a conflict coach before, but at the same time, it's me with better, better boundaries and better self-care and better able to take care of myself and recognize that I have the needs and to help other women to recognize that they have needs too. Because the reality is we're taught not to have needs, right? We're taught to take care of other people's needs from a very young age as women. And so it's a lot of societal learning. It's a lot of what we learned in our own households, but there's this, there's this piece where we are taught as women to be rescuers. And so when I created my Facebook group, I, I chose that title because that was what I had to do in 2018. I had to save myself. Nobody else was coming to rescue me and I had to do it. And I think it's happens to a lot of people at midlife, right? It really is something where when you see people make a violent course, correct at midlife, as opposed to doing just a little bit. Mm-hmm. it's because they are looking to save themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They are saying my life is so off kilter. And I think that at midlife too, we have this opportunity that we didn't have before. So, you know, when we're teenagers, right. And we're going to be getting ready. What are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And our parents still shape so much of who we are and who we're going to be that we can end up with something that's very untrue to ourselves because we're looking to fit in with the teenagers around us. We're looking to have our parents still love us. We're, 
we're looking for all the external love. And then at midlife, we can just be like, I don't care anymore. My parents don't have that much power over me anymore, right? I'm not in high school. I don't have to deal with all the drama. Like people can certainly do all that drama, but I don't care because I only have so much life left in me and I want to live it the way I want to live it. Yes. And so it really is this time where you can make amazing shifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to have the courage to do so. Yes. I find that to be true every day. The midlife woman is my, my favorite client as well. And I notice that for a lot of women, they, um, they wait till their parents have passed away before they Mm -hmm. speak some of their truths. And so there is that still kind of deep seated fear of abandonment probably. Right. And then I do also notice that there's always a catalyst event, be it an attempted kidnapping or a sexual trauma or a, a terrible illness or a loss. And I keep hoping that there's a way to speak to the slightly younger generation that you do not have to wait for this breakdown. But then I wonder, do we, do we actually have to have that catalyst moment of some breakdown or trauma to propel ourselves and be so fierce and relentless in our searching and our coming back to ourselves? Have have you, have you run into women who, who didn't have a catalyst moment or a, or a trauma and they still found it? I have it. I don't think I have. Right. That's a fabulous question because honestly, if I hadn't had that catalyst, Mm -hmm. I would probably be still married to Mm-hmm. my, um, my ex-husband, I probably would be still mediating and mm-hmm. I would be doing it when everything went down. I was looking to, um, live in new Orleans half the year and live in Maine half the year because I was tired of shoveling. Um, I had wanted to move. I couldn't get him to move. So I was looking at it as, okay, fine. Then I'll just create my own business. So there, I, I guess there's always been that part of me that says, yes okay, fine. Then I'll just go do it. Right. If you're not going to help me with this, fine. I'll just go do it. Yes. But I would not have gone and wandered the world for two Mm. years. Mm. I mean, that part would not have happened. Mm. I would have been doing it, um, more, you know, slowly over time. I was, I was actively, um, starting the process of making connections down in new Orleans to be able to set it up and start to make it happen. Mm-hmm. when I was attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would hope that at this point I would have been successful with that. That would right. have been the, you know, the alternate universe that would have happened. Um, and it could be that over time with my doing it that way, that I could have ended up, um, also divorcing my husband, you know, but I don't know, we could have made it work. It could have been right without that, without that added bit. Mm-hmm. It could have been that all of that would have worked just fine. And I think fine is the operative word there because it probably would have been fine, but would it have led to the deep knowing and hopefully deep pleasure despite the trauma with your new partner or in your new home um, and with the travels? And I feel like I feel like I, I probably would, could have also led a fine life uh-huh. status quo with, with, uh, with what I have, even the relentless sense of adventure, but uh-huh. it took facing, uh, my own death and my son's death, facing that terrible fear to 
make change that led me to pleasure and laughter. And so I think it probably would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been fulfilling. Um, Uh, Yeah. I think you do prioritize, you you may prioritize joy more after having face down death, right? That there is that piece of, well, I'm grateful just to be alive. Right. Right. I'm grateful that nothing worse happened to me. Right. And I think that if you're, I was naturally a grateful person anyway, but even more so Mm -hmm. I was, I was grateful. So it was just like, why not create the best life ever? And I think that before I, I was very invested in having other people be Mm -hmm. happy Mm. and I did not have the energy Mm. to do any I could not do all of that for them anymore after the attempted kidnapping I really did have to look to save myself first right and so when you have that shift in focus and that shift in priorities then yes I think it can shift everything yes absolutely and do you find that or have things calmed down in terms of the the press? And I know you were in several newspapers and, and um, magazines and such. Do you find that that component of being extra visible in the world has hindered your healing or in some ways has it helped because you've been able to liberate more people in telling your story? I actually am intentionally seeking out press now. I did not seek it out then um, because I knew that in a court proceeding, you can be asked about anything that you have said. And I love the press, but they don't always quote exactly what you said. Right. 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 And so I knew that this case was going to be a case that went to trial just based on the man who attacked me. So I knew that I needed to just stay out of everything. So I wasn't talking to people about what had happened to me until um, until 2020, really. And part of that was my own thing, because I really felt like I needed to keep myself safe and keeping myself safe meant keeping myself small. So the, the press part has been, um, much a bigger part of my journey, but that really has started in 2020 and 2021. And I plan to just keep talking about it because the reality is what I've found, and you probably have this too, when I share my story, it actually brings up stories for other women who have experienced not not the same thing, but you know, a lot of women have experienced trauma. If you look at the statistics, if you look at you know one in five women, right, experience sexual assault, wow. then you know how many women have experienced trauma, but how few of them are actually talking about it. And if you look at how many have experienced childhood um, trauma, and it used to be that it was just, well, you know, children are resilient, but now they're actually um, diagnosing children with PTSD Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they can be resilient, but they also can get PTSD from being abused. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so many of us walk around with that. So when the, for the people thinking, well, but who's going to love me because I have this trauma, the reality is everybody co- comes with something, right? We don't get to this age without coming with something. Sure. We all have our stuff, 
yeah. right? It's whether we have carry-on bags or we have full sets of luggage, but we all are carrying the whole something. set. <laughs> <laughs> Here. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. I, I don't know somebody who's entered their fifties without going through something. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. And you're right about um, that. There is new, thankfully new research about childhood trauma and the ACE study and how mm-hmm. it affects um, on a cellular level, our health later on chronic illness, chronic health uh, um, issues, um, so I think there is a heightened awareness about it right. and um, it's such important, it's such important research in, in the yoga world. When I used to teach yoga, we would say there's issues in our tissues and, yes. and they're always there. Um, and it's, and they come out at the oddest of times. So in often in stillness or in sleep is when it's most challenging um, mm-hmm. and potentially the darkness alone between the darkness and the stillness of nighttime, um, a, a lot comes up and that happens for people in meditation too. They close their eyes and they're flooded with emotions and, um, uh, flashbacks and trauma triggers. Right. And then, and then they stop. They're like, I'm, I'm just going to distract myself with all the things and numb myself with all the things. Cause right. being with myself is way too hard. Um, and so how do you empower women to slowly find their, their safety and their foundation and their root chakra again? Mm -hmm. I will say, honestly, I found yoga to be the most healing thing for me afterwards, because as you were talking about in terms of, um, triggers that you don't know are going to come up, I tried going back to my old church. And when I closed my eyes, my body did exactly what you were talking about. It was just like, you're in the danger zone. You have absolutely no idea who's around you. Anybody could attack at any moment. So it started showing me flashes of my attacker. So my eyes went right back open. I could not sit in meditation with a group of people around me. It just was not a possibility, but I could do yoga as a moving meditation. And so that's what I would do right? Because that is a way to calm the body and let you have your eyes open. Yes. Yes. Interesting. I ended up doing Tai Chi, which right now sounds really boring, but that's what I needed then because exactly. I had to keep my eyes open. I had to be aware of my surroundings. I had to actually not just look forward, but to the side and to the back and then behind me. Right. And it was still slow and meditative and a lot about the breath work. But the stillness of yoga after trauma, even with eyes open, can be too triggering for people. So it's so wonderful that we have an array of options, uh, including uh, for me right now, humor and comedy, which seems so bizarre. But sometimes we just have to go in the back door and try everything, right? Because yoga wasn't working for me through through the grief of my son's illness. It just wasn't, and it surprised me that. Nothing like the yoga, the meditation, the Tai Chi, breathing, journaling. I'm like, I'm trying it all, but this isn't working for me. So, so to keep trying and exploring. Um, so yeah, I love that, that you do this work and that you offer the opportunity and the space for women to, to connect. And in that, that community is where that safe and empathetic space is created. And, and then they feel open to slowly sharing 
and releasing their, their truths and their past traumas. And every time you do, don't you feel like some weight is lifted off you every time you, you speak your story? That's a good question. I don't know if I think about it that way, but I do recognize that it gets easier, right? That with the telling of it, it gets easier. And I can see too, the, um, the shift that people make. So I, what I would say is often there's a piece of shame attached to the story too. And for me, I initially thought there's no shame attached to my story, right? I, here I was, I was protecting kids from a, a person who was abusive. And four months later, he decided to get his revenge on me. I have no shame in that. The shame for me though, I realized last year was that I felt any fear at all because I had been raised to be a rescuer. I had been raised to be fearless. I was the person who ran into other people's conflict Mm -hmm. and helped them, right? I didn't run from conflict. I ran actively toward it to help people. Yeah. And after this, um, and especially after facing off against him in court, I was afraid. I was afraid after he attacked me. I was afraid after that. And that was just not supposed to be part of who I was. And so I realized that was part of my shadow self that, so I was actually making my life worse because when I would feel fear, I would be afraid to show anybody that I felt fear. And so I would be afraid of the fear that was coming up and I would be shaming myself with that. So that was so much heavier. So Once I realized, oh, this is the shadow self, the fear is the shadow self. And I integrated that. Then it was just like, okay, I feel fear. So what? Right. Up until that point, people would say I was brave. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what bravery means anymore because before I did things and I did it without having any fear. And now I'm doing them and I'm filled with fear and neither of those feel brave. (laughs) I don't know what bravery is. (laughs) You're reminding me of conversations I've had um, recently with the chief of police and uh, firefighters, a similar dynamic. We, we go into the fire. We're, we're, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then people call us uh, brave and, you know, this is, this is who we are. But then when the fear comes up, there's, there's shame in that there's shame in, in feeling fear. Um, Right. it's an interesting conversation to have. And I, even more important for people who are leaders and healers and savers and light workers um, because of that dynamic of feeling that's our, it's in our responsibility to save other, other people. And right. that we're, that we're fearless, which is so not true. I just did a post yesterday about suicide prevention and I was revealing uh, my suicidal ideation in 2017. And I was just encouraging people to, to say it out loud if they had mm-hmm. experienced those darker thoughts and, um, and then what brought them through. And right. all the stories are about this, um, this, the shame of feeling pain, the shame of feeling fear, the shame of feeling the darkness and, right. and, the, the people who were leaders had a harder time asking uh, for help and admitting, admitting to that need um, to reach right. out and ask. Yeah. Right. And often then they don't get the supports that they need, right? Then they're not reaching out because they know they're not going to get the supports. They haven't built up the supports to even happen. Right. But they don't necessarily have the people around them who can handle having them be seen as weak. 
right? And, exactly. and we do have a society too that attacks you mm-hmm. for that, right? So, mm-hmm. but the reality is, I mean, we're not that famous, right? So I'm not going to get attacked for having some kind of issue come up. I'm not, I'm not at that level, but we can look at what happens with celebrities and the, the teardown that can happen for people that they just needed some help. Well, Megan and Harry's interview just recently, how much that brought up. Um, yes. People not, whether they're not believing it or they're angered by it or they're embarrassed by it or fill in the blank. Um, they, they were not, they were not held in, in a safe space of unconditional love and support for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it is something where if you bring it up, are you going to be rejected? And if you were raised as somebody who had to take care of other people's needs, right? Other people's feelings, then it's really hard to say, I have this going on. And because you don't say anything, then you increase your level of shame because you don't actually have the conversation like you stirred up, right? With your post mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. having people say, oh, I've experienced that too. I've experienced mm-hmm. that too. And mm-hmm. so that circles us back to when you started and you said about sharing my story, no, I'm going to keep sharing my story because it does enable others to share theirs. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a rich conversation. And I, I want to circle back with you. Um, and I'm, I'm in your group. I adore it. I, how can people reach out to you um, as a midlife empowerment coach? Um, what's the best way people can reach you, Meredith? So the best way probably is to go to my website, MeredithLRichardson.com. But they can also come and join my Facebook group, Midlife, Where the Queen Saves Herself. Those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me at this point. Good. And I will be um, marking at the top of this um, podcast, you know, trauma triggers. Do you do that Mm -hmm. often in your posts? I I feel like every, every, Thing I say nowadays is a trauma trigger because I'm just speaking my truths and my truths include trauma. So I feel like right. I have to like walk around with a disclaimer all the time. Do you do you feel that way often? <laughs> I haven't been doing that, but honestly, because in my bio I say I fought off an attempted kidnapping, I'm a trauma trigger from sentence two of my bio, right? So, <laughs> so you don't have to put on the top of your post just says Meredith Richardson, comma, trauma trigger. Maybe maybe yeah. I'll just embrace that. Yeah. Because, um, right, I'd have to put it on every podcast episode. (laughs) Maybe I'll just call the podcast Trauma Triggers and get it over with. Oh, my goodness. I find it's less triggering than a lot of the shows on TV, truthfully. I mean, so our conversation about it is going to be much less triggering than if you were to watch, you know, Law and Order or something like that. I mean, there are so many things that involves somebody getting hurt by another person. Yeah. Yeah. I hardly can read a book or watch a, watch a movie anymore, uh, including the news. And so, uh, yes, um, I rather prefer talking to people who have, who have made their way through the, the trauma to the other side and, um, and then are making it their purpose and passion to help others, I think is the most beautiful blessing and gift of it uh, that can um, be celebrated. So I appreciate you coming and talking with us and sharing your story. And I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate the work you do too. I mean, you're bringing laughter and joy into people's lives and that's all part of creating your best life. I mean, that's the part that I see missing for so many is that they don't 
they don't factor in joy as an essential part of life. And so you've taken that and you've run with that and you're like, here, let me show you how to laugh. Yeah. And it, and it's, um, and for those that are watching, given now that you know that I have a lot of trauma, it's you, the accessing pleasure and joy and humor does not come easily. But luckily, with practice, like as anything, it, it can become part of your habit and your routine. And so it's teachable and learnable. I don't even know if that's mm-hmm. a word, but anyhow, it, it can be taught, which to me felt so freeing and liberating. And it's my pleasure and honor, privilege to, to teach that to other women. So thank you all for coming. And if you want to reach out to me, feel free to visit my website, of course, pashamarlo.com or email me at pasha at pashamarlo.com. And I have some offerings from one-on-one coaching to Roar With Laughter, which is the healing with humor work that I do, where we tell our trauma stories on a live comedy stage. I know that sounds terrifying, but it's also thrilling and transformative. So I would love to talk to you about it more. If you like this podcast, please review and share um, and, and yeah, let your friends know all about it because this is a healing conversation we just had with Meredith Richardson. So it's going to, it's going to liberate somebody to tell their, to tell their story. So thank you again, Meredith, for coming. Thank you. Much appreciated.